welcome to another episode of the History and Music Podcast. You thought you could dodge us uh, on this first draft of an episode, but you can't. Uncle Sean will always find you. Um, and speaking of Uncle Sean, uh, how's it going? It's been a while. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing good, man. Um, good. Yeah, record like I said, recording live from the Mekong Delta. We had some some technical issues, but the revolution must continue. Our our, com- our comms are up, and we're good to go. Correct. All right. Uh, we're also we also have um, uh, Ryan or Brother Felix or wh- whoever, however he wants to be called in the third chair tonight. Um, bro, very, bro very the warm cat. welcome. Yeah, bro the cat, uh, a man of many names. Very warm welcome. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, all things considered. Good. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. We uh, we it is a pleasure to to have as many guests of um of the degree that we do. So I, I'm I'm very happy that that you're here and that you chose a fun song for our twentieth episode. I thought it was the perfect song for episode twenty. That's true. <laughs> Hater said we couldn't do it, but look at us now. We We're got here. Bro the Cat playing freaking CCR. <laughs> we made it. We made it. <laughs> look at me now, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So uh, let us know a little bit about yourself, uh, Ryan. What what What's your... Uh, uh, I guess we can start with kind of uh, what's your history with music? Well, I mean, growing up, my, it was a very, I had a very musical family. Um, both my parents played instruments in, in like high school and college. Uh, we all played the piano. My Most of my siblings and I played instruments in band. Um and we all sing and like that also translated into our love for like recorded music. Like um, for me, I really like the classics, which is why I chose this song, but also um, there was always a wide variety of music being played at our house. And that just helped me appreciate music more and more. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of had wondered when you submitted a a CCR song. Um, I, I I didn't figure you were uh, that old. Um, so so it's it sounds like it's something that your uh, that your parents influenced. Maybe yeah, it's, that's something that heavily influenced by my dad. Nice. Many such so cases. What, yeah, same actually. My parents. I grew up listening to CCR as well. Um, so as far as like your, so you kind of grew up in a musical household, it seems. So everyone, including yourself, have, have an appreciation of music and you're both, both musical enjoyers, but also musical performers, you know, cause you can play instruments and do you sing as well? Yes. Awesome. Um, so what did you, what kind of, what kind of music, what sort of genres did you grow up listening to? And what do you currently consider like your genre of music you listen to now? I know you said the classics, but maybe extrapolate that a little more. Um, so growing up, we'd listen to a lot of musicals. Um, like it seemed like, like looking back, it seems like every week or two, we have a different musical playing nonstop. 
and we just memorize all the words from just watching those musicals over and over. So it wasn't like my mom that that just played Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera on repeat all the time. You no. you guys did you branched out more than than just those ones. Uh there was Phantom of the Opera. There was Les Mis when it when it when they made that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which was one of my sister's favorites. There was oh, Chad. Yeah. Um, Singing in the Rain. All those kinds of movies. Nice. Let me uh, awesome. let me throw let me throw some musicals at you, and you tell me your your thoughts. Thoroughly Modern Millie. Haven't seen it. Okay, like, good. Hard pass. Don't even don't even. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma. Yes. Evita. Nope. Okay, you're not missing much. Um, let's see. Gypsy what's that Rose. Abba, what's that Abba one? Oh, <laughs> um, Mamma uh, Mia. Yes. Yeah, Mamma Mia. Yeah. Okay. I see. You're, I see. You're a man of culture. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on a. I'm. I actually have another podcast, the the Cold Bow podcast, and a couple of years ago we did a a, a episode on musicals and. We we're thinking about doing another one, so I've been thinking about him a little bit too. Um, but okay, so so you like musicals? That's awesome. Um, what what other uh, genres of music are you into? Uh, well, let's see. Like I said, my dad got me into classic rock and all those sorts of like that, all those kinds of bands. Um, I got into hard rock and Christian rock and all of that a couple of years before my mission on my mission, I got into like metal. Really? Mo, you mean, you, you mean to say Motab, right? That's what you meant to say. <laughs> uh, there was a metal re uh, not remix um, cover of one of the songs we were allowed to listen to. And it was just, one of my companions would play that quite often. I, I enjoyed it. So the loopholes we find. Yep. Yep. No, no, it's actually a metal version of a Disney song. Prez, it's fine. We weren't allowed to listen to Disney songs. Oh, we were, but I served a long time ago. Uh-huh. But anyway, sorry. Continue. Um. Let's see. Other than that. So let's say you're um you're on your way to a hot date and you want to get pumped up. Um, what are you putting on? Uh, that's a good song. Or that's a question. Excuse me. Um, it should be Fortunate Son. Just get jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't me. Yeah. Really, it depends on which song I've been listening to lately. Um, for example, now it would be like... Uh, Dragostia Dente or the Numa Numa song. Really? Yeah. Like that meme song? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know that one. Isn't that Swedish? I believe it's um Romanian or something. Oh. <laughs> Hang on, let me check. I think uh, I, need to, I need to Google that one. I'm not even familiar with that. You know the um my Yahoo! My oh, that Yahoo! one. Yeah. I th- I thought that was Indian. No, I because uh, PewDiePie really likes it, and I think it's because it's Swedish. But I, I didn't I didn't realize you were a Nazi. Romanian. Scott. That's Romanian. Okay. Oh. 
So, by the way, reminder to our fans and, and friends listening, subscribe to PewDiePie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's like a five-year-old meme, dude. <laughs> oh, it's way over five years old. Uh, some, of our, some of our audience are boomers, so they're just now hearing about this for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, T-Series might beat them. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, well, that's awesome. Well, um uh, Mr. Bro the Cat, thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate you. I know it's been kind of a long time coming when uh, we approached you about coming on the show. And I know that this song was one of two songs that you suggested. Um, so for episode 20, as we heard in the intro, we're doing Credence Clearwater Revival's Fortunate Son. And I know we kind of covered already. So it sounds like you kind of grew up listening to this as a kid. Like your dad played the dad rock. He listened to CCR and other classic rock. And that that's, I'm assuming that's kind of how you um, came upon the song. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Do you have, is there, is there any kind of anything um, uh, spectacular or interesting on, on why this was a song that you chose just out of curiosity for this, uh, for this show? It's mostly because I was looking through the, like looking through my playlist and, I pulled this one up, Googled it, figured out like, okay, yeah, it's actually it's actually based on a historical thing because a lot of music I listen to isn't really based in history. It's just music I like to listen to. So right. for sure. Yeah. Well, and as we'll get into it, like this song actually has some some credence, if you will, to it. <laughs> because the song's about the B- Vietnam War, spoiler alert, but it's written and performed by two guys that were actually like soldiers during the Vietnam War that were drafted. Right. So, like, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. Um, but awesome! Like, this song's this song is great. And I mean, if you're not familiar with with this particular song, I don't know how you must be under a rock because I'm checking right now. Um, Creedence Clearwater Revival has like. I think 2 billion plays billion with a B on Spotify one over 1 billion of just, have you ever seen the rain? Their number two song is this one with 968 million. So this song's had like, it's, it's still, it's still used in like memes and like, uh, you know, like, like fash wave edit stuff today. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, <laughs> so uh-huh. it, it's, it's never, it's never really not had a resurgence. I feel like. Right. It's like how, how many movies has it been in? You know, every movie about Vietnam. Yeah. Oh, no. oh yeah. I mean, it was in Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, I know my so my first experience with it is I, I just like you, um, bro, the cat. Um, I grew up like our dads are probably similar age because my I grew up with the same kind of music that you're talking about, like a lot of classic rock stuff, a lot of Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, and so that was kind of my first um, experience listening to it. As I, rem- I remember being like 13, 14, 15 and, and listening to this song. And like, it was a really good catchy song, you know, um, and didn't really know much about it. And it didn't really hit me on like what the, what the subject matter was until I was, I was like later on in high school, I took a military history class twice, the same class twice. Cause I liked it so much in, in high school, same teacher, both times. And in that class, I took it once as a freshman and once as a senior. And I think it's probably my senior year. Um, we watched this, um, it's a, it's a documentary about the Vietnam War, and it's actually a book they turned into a documentary, um, but it's called Letters Home from Vietnam, and uh, I think they have, 
I think they have like several like series of like letters home from this war and letters home from that war. But yeah, Dear America, Letters Home from Vietnam. And in this one, it came out like the, the late 80s. But the 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 there, there's a point to this story, I promise. Um, the the reason why it was poignant to me is because this this the director of the time that did this documentary, what he would do is he would um have it, it was a, basically a series of people reading letters that soldiers were writing home from Vietnam, from, like from the front at Vietnam, but they were read by actors and actresses that were that were popular at the time the letter was written. So they have like some written by James Earl Jones and like Robert De Niro, you know, like reading these letters. And so um, I guess the idea was when you're hearing this letter read, you're like, oh, hey, that sounds like James Earl Jones. And like your mind perks up and you listen to it a little more. Hmm. But what they would do is they would show they would they would they would uh, read a letter from like read by a famous person interspersed with footage of the guy that read that letter, like straight up in combat. And then, and then during the course of the documentary, they would basically play music that was popular from the era. And so it kind of goes from being like this really hippie kind of psychedelic 60s rock to a lot of like this kind of stuff, like anti, anti-war anti stuff, like anti-Vietnam War stuff. And there's scenes of like Marines coming under fire and like machine gunning a bunch of dudes while this song's playing. I'm like, all right, all right, man, let's go America, you know? <laughs> and that, that's kind of like, that's kind of my first experience with this song in like a historical context. Nice. That sounds like a cool documentary. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. lots of footage of this war. Like they, and they, in fact, like broadcast it on TV during the war. Like, for some reason like fa- famously broadcast like even like the r-rated stuff like there's a, yeah. there's a famous there's a famous scene where the the south vietnamese our allies are executing a north vietnamese dude like live on television by shooting him in the head it's a mm. very famous photograph and it's like dude like who's watching this in america you know it's like wild. It, helping our case yeah it's wild but um should we i mean how, how much how much context do you guys think we need on this particular song um well it's it's interesting to to hear um john fogarty's like his his history and and what led him to 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 write it because um like you said he he was drafted in like in 67 i think or 66 maybe um and, and and so he was uh he was in the military i don't know if 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 he was deployed to vietnam but, that's uh, that's actually what's kind of funny. I didn't know until reading for this for this show. Um, CCR is kind of a kind of an odd band because they play like southern bluesy kind of rock, sometimes mm-hmm. called swamp rock. But they're all from Northern California. Yeah, they're yeah. all from like they're all from like the Bay Area, like basically where my parents grew up, like a uh, um, like El Cerrito, Berkeley. That's where they all grew up. Just where John Fogarty's from, and um, and yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Scott. So they were kind of in a band. Um, and they, uh, they, had, they had released a couple songs under a different name. And then John Fogarty, who was like this young, he's like 20 years old at the time, um, not really doing anything. He, he knew that his draft notice was coming up. And like on the day he was drafted, rather than actually just get drafted, he actually went into a recruiting office and basically joined up to serve in the, uh, the U S army. Right. And uh, that was in, um, 
that was in uh, 66 actually is when he got his, his draft notice or whatever, but instead he went to like the local U S army reserve office signed up and he basically was put in kind of like a support role. So he did all of his basic training. He did all like the, the, you know, initial military stuff. Um, you went, you know, he went to Fort Bragg, Fort Knox. Um, and in, uh, in 67 is when he finished like his, um, his active duty training. And then he basically just served as like a reservist until 1968. So, um, 66 to 68 is when he was in the military. So it was during the initial stages of the Vietnam war, but he never actually got deployed to Vietnam. Yeah. And, and from what I could tell, he did that strategically. So he wouldn't ever have to see combat. Right. Which, which a lot of dudes did actually, my own father-in-law did that. Uh, my wife's dad, he, uh, he was, he's, he's a little bit younger than John Fogarty. Um, but in, uh, I think 69, I think, um, he, he was, was, he wasn't sure if he was going to be drafted, but rather than be drafted and like definitely see combat, he chose to enlist in the air force instead and ended up serving out his entire four years as an air force mechanic, um, at, uh, at Travis air force base in Northern California. Um, but his older brother, uh, did did go over and see combat in in in, uh, in Vietnam, um, so but yeah, so John Fogarty like never actually saw combat. I'm assuming he worked with people that did. Um, what's also interesting is his older brother Tom Fogarty. You have John and Tom Fogarty. Tom Fogarty was like I think the guitarist of um, Creedence Clearwater Revival. He was also drafted uh, to Vietnam and actually also did go through the whole you know training with I think the U.S. Army and everything. Um, and it, then basically what happened was after they came home in like 68, 69, they, they start, they changed the name of their band. They were called like the, the Gollywogs or something like that. And then they changed the name to Creedence Clearwater Revival. No idea where that name came from. I think they just made it up, but basically changed the name. And the band now had John Fogarty, the younger brother, as like the main lyricist, the guy writing all the songs, the guy doing all the singing, the guy playing guitar. And then he basically had like his brother Tom on like backup guitar and then a couple other like friends that's kind of filling out the band. And um, and they started writing songs kind of like in this sort of southern bluesy rock kind of vein and got really popular. And uh, And John Fogarty said that he was at the time um, you know, having served in the military, having almost been drafted and, and getting out of the military, being a, kind of a young guy at that time, he was just really basically pissed at the government yeah. and just sitting around thinking about all these guys getting drafted and people going to going to fight for the rich and famous, basically for no reason in a country no one cares about. Got really angry and literally in um, in uh, let's see, he wrote this song in '69. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like early, like early to mid 1969, he says he sat down with all this anger about this stuff and wrote this song in 20 minutes, like the full lyric, just like wrote it out. So it must have just like a stroke of genius, I guess. Yeah. Um, it it, and, had, it had obviously been building. Um, oh yeah. And he he describes when he came home in like 67. It was like right before the summer of love, like the famous 1967, mm-hmm. and so he was fully immersed in like the hippie kind of lifestyle and stuff like that so yeah oh they um, played they played at woodstock they were like supposedly they were like the big act that played at woodstock right yeah so they were definitely all in like that kind of movement even though they didn't look or dress like hippies they definitely like were part of the the the, the vibe or the culture of, of the hippieism i guess right right so yeah 
Um, but it's it's interesting because he's he's basically taking some of his experience being a, a reservist and talking to fellow soldiers, but also there's a lot of stuff in the news. Um, unfortunately, like the, the song, the song is anti-war, which is fine. Vietnam was a terrible war. Personal opinion, we shouldn't have been in Vietnam, but that's that's a conversation for another time. But it's kind of sad that that this song is looked at sometimes like in the conservative sphere as like a conservative song, like Trump used this song. I think George W. Bush may have even used it like in campaign stuff. And John Fogarty is like a literal libtard. Like mm-hmm. the guy is like diehard Democrat, like voted for Hillary, like wants nothing to do with Republicans. And um, it's just kind of kind of sad that he's not a little more balanced, I guess. Well, yeah, it's a. Uh... It's interesting how th- things kind of flip a little bit. We talked about this in the uh, the episode with Bob Deduck. How how it seems like um, a lot of the political stuff um, left and right has kind of flipped as far as as far as uh, anti war and stuff like that. Yeah, well, it's funny as as Trump. You, I think during Trump's campaign, or maybe when he was in pre- when he was president, he used fortunate son a couple times like just for like just campaign stuff mm-hmm. and john fogarty straight up sent him a cease and desist letter basically saying don't ever use our songs like come right. on like it's i mean i guess i guess ccr doesn't need publicity especially this song no no yeah so they don't really care but it's like dude who cares man you wrote this song like freaking 50 years ago you're almost 80 years old just let it go mm-hmm. anyway um Sorry, bro, the cat. We're uh, kind of monologuing here, but I, I think that's that's pretty much the background on this. I mean, we can talk about. Yeah, do you have do you have anything uh, again, but that you want to add to the to the context? I mean, I just think it's very interesting with what with what research I've done on the song that, like Fogarty and C- the rest of CCR, they intended for this song to be very anti-war, pro-peace, like stay out of war, like make sure we're not doing what we can. And they use the, well, do we want to get into like the history of the song right now or just? Uh, Yeah. Say what you got to say, but we might skip around. It's fine. Yeah. So basically they used the um, fact that, uh, let's see, who was it? The David Eisenhower. Yeah. That Eisenhower's son was basically dating another politician's daughter. And then because of certain things, he ended up not being like not participating in the war as much as really he should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because I think that's what he was saying is around the time that that Fogarty, like the Fogarty brothers got home from Vietnam, it was really big in the news that it was actually Dwight D. Eisenhower's grandson, uh, whose name is also Dwight D. Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower II, um, but he went by David, his middle name. Actually, Camp David, if you ever hear of Camp David, is actually named for this guy. And um, he uh, he... at the time he's roughly the same age as the Fogarty brothers. And he also quote unquote served in Vietnam. But at the time he like, 
got some cushy job on like a Navy ship that spent his whole time in like the Mediterranean, like never seeing any combat. This guy comes home and he starts dating like straight up Richard Nixon's daughter, like the president's daughter. They're actually still alive. They're still married. Um, so uh-huh. this dude, Dwight D. Eisenhower's grandson, whose name's also Dwight D. Eisenhower, David, <laughs> um, he, he actually married, uh, Richard Nixon's daughter, um, oh, uh, Julie Nixon. And, uh, and so the, the whole idea was like, well, dude, like your dad was like one of the most famous gener- generals we've ever had, like led the U.S. to victory in World War II. And yeah, you 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 enlist to like serve your country, but you get a cushy job on a, on a ship in the Mediterranean seeing a- absolutely no combat in no danger of any kind because you're a senator or your senator's son or your dad is a general or whatever. And then you come home and date the president's daughter while all the poor and uneducated are like dying by the thousands in the freaking jungles of Vietnam. And that was like, I can't, I guess like that kind of idea is what made John Fogarty so angry that he sat down and penned this thing in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's such a, such an interesting war because it's like the first time it's being live broadcast. And so there's so much transparency into the war where like people could rightfully say like no i this is stupid I, I don't agree with this um instead of being like patriotic which is more typical for a country at war um and so yeah it, it's just like there's a lot of factors that went into this whole movement this whole anti-war movement um and it's mostly seen as like young rabble rousers or you know like like uh just dirty hippies or whatever um yeah, because that's kind of what they were painted as. In many cases, they were those exact things. But, yeah. um, but yeah, that's probably um, a good. That's probably a good segue to get into the lyrics. What do you think? I think so. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah so, uh, uh, Mister the Cat, would you like to read? Uh, I don't know if you have the lyrics pulled up in front of you yet, but do. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to read? Um, just go through just verse one before it gets to the chorus, and we can kind of just pick apart stuff that calls out to us. All right. So it says. Some folks are born made to wave the flag. Who they're red, white, and blue. And when the band plays Hail to the Chief, who they point the cannon at you, Lord. He's got to add the Lord in there, trying to like just kind of push the southern thing, even though this dude's never lived in the south. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works, right? Because no one's going to yeah. question it because it's freaking CCR. But these yeah. dudes are all from Northern California. So it's just wild. They can like pull that off and not be called out for being like fakes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't know when I learned that they weren't from like Louisiana or something like that. Like, but I remember it being kind of, I don't know. I, I was kind of, I guess, I was kind of let down. I guess it may be. Helped by the fact that in the chorus they use they repeatedly use the word ain't. Yeah. 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 Well, honestly, we call it nowadays, it's like LARPing. It's like they're LARPing as like a southern bluesy rock group, but these are a bunch of dudes from like San Francisco, basically. Right. Right. <laughs> but um, so like I know some of the, well, actually, Scott, why don't you go, man? Like what 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 what's uh what thoughts do you have on the first verse there? Yeah, so I mean uh, so he's, he's obviously saying that he is not one that um, was born to wave the 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 flag, the red, white, and blue. And I think he might be alluding to like uh, to draft dodgers um, that that would uh, like leave the country, um, try and try and get out get out of going to war, um, which was a big thing back then. Um, yeah, Bill Cl- Bill Clinton famously Bill Clinton did it. That was something right. that got like you know they they kind of 
drummed that up during his and campaign. didn't didn't like Muhammad Ali do it as well. Yeah, well, back well, when he was I, Cassius Clay. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because fa- famously he said, you know, no, no Vietnamese has never called me an N word. You know, yeah, and that was yeah. like why you didn't want to go fight is because it's like, well, the white man called me an N word. The Vietnamese never did, so I don't want to go fight for the. I don't want to go fight the Vietnamese for the white man. Right. So I mean, like, he's he's not wrong, but. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think he didn't. He get arrested. I think Muhammad Ali got arrested actually for. I think he did like the, the the draft card burning or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's like some movie about him that you could probably watch, but yeah, there might be. I don't know. Yeah, Will it's Smith. Uh, Will Smith did it. But yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So so that's what I think that, that that first line is is referencing, and then uh, and then band plays Hail the Chief. You know the that's the president's song. Um, and then pouring the cannon at you is kind of getting the draft card. Like you, you won the lottery or like, like you got the lottery, the cannon pointed at you. You're going. Yeah. I don't know. Felix, you got, you got, fix it. Felix, you got any, any, uh, pointers on that one? Thoughts on that one? Uh On that, that first verse? No, nothing that you guys haven't pointed out yet. Yeah. Well, I think you're right, Scott, because it's the idea is like, look, some people are just born to wave the flag. Like they're th- th- those people are red, white, and blue, right? They're just people. I'm, I'm assuming he's like people listen to country music. They just love America, you know. And he's implying that that's not him, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and the band plays "Hail to the Chief," which is like the theme song that's always played by the by the Marine military band. It's the president. It's the it's the theme for the president. That dun, 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 that's the "Hail to the Chief." Um, and it points the cannon at you, which is, which is interesting. Cause I guess, I think what he's trying to go for here is I think at the time and actually almost every war, almost every war we've ever had, it's always been a, a, a looked at as like, you don't want to go die in the Philippines. What do you hate America? It's part of being patriotic. Cause you've got to go like just enlist in any conflict we've got. It's a podcast. It's a reference. Yeah. So, um, but I think that's what, uh, so, so um, I, uh, uh, what one visual that I thought of with the um point the cannon at you is is the classic Uncle Sam picture of pointing at you. Yeah, the the pointing finger. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I like it. I want you for U.S. Army. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and that's that's an old thing. That's that, that predates oh, yeah. this war by a long time. Yeah. Um. Okay. So then the chorus goes, "It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no senator's son. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one." Um, so that, that's the chorus. And what he's basically saying is like, look, there's some fortunate sons out there. I'm not one of them because I had to get drafted or had to go serve my time. I'm not a Senator's son who, because of my connections or my money can get out of the war. And, and like we were saying before, he's thinking of specifically David Eisenhower and these other guys who had these like either money or family connections to either get out of the war entirely or, quote unquote serve their time but you'd get like oh you'd be made a captain and you have to serve on like a beach somewhere and then you're like you come home like a quote unquote hero having done absolutely nothing and seen no combat never been shot at you know um but john fogarty isn't that fortunate so he had to get enlisted and still not see combat but that's okay yeah he's representing he's representing those that did (laughs) he's giving voice to guys that did i get it i can't yeah and and, and to that point (laughs) <laughs> to that point, he, he's uh, in. I, I saw a uh, interview with him, and he, and he said uh, <clears throat> that he hated that a lot of the fellow protesters 
we're so we're anti-war obviously but we're um we're anti-soldiers too like they were they were like um they oh, like ha- hated the soldiers and stuff like that yeah, yeah. and so that, that, like i think fogarty since he was there or maybe not there but he knew the guys that he was there with and he knew that they weren't there to kill babies wherever they they were almost just as much of a of a uh a victim as as anyone else because they they, yeah. they were drafted they were forced to go yeah and so and he I, had a I, unique perspective on it in that way right oh, and i think that's one that's one of his things like look i'm anti war i am not anti soldier because like every other war before this, every soldier comes home, typically a hero, not mm-hmm. in this war. Because no. everyone's like, oh, you guys are baby killers. Because like you were saying, Scott, since everything's televised and they'd have like, you know, like freelance journalists like on the ground with the Green Berets, like in combat reporting all this stuff. And so the the public tend to ha- tended to have a less rosy colored view of this war and the soldiers that were in it. And right. uh, so they didn't come home heroes um, but, but, uh, John Fogarty definitely was like, no dude, like these guys had, most of these guys were drafted and they didn't want to be there either. So cut them some slack. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a, <clears throat> my grandfather served in world war two and he, he wouldn't talk much about it. He saw a lot of action. He was in a uh, battle of the bulge and everything. Um, but Yikes. he, and he was, and he was in the cleanup during, in the, um, East in Japan, after the war, which was almost just as bad as during the war. Um, but he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk about it. And, uh, I suspect a lot of it was not shame. I think shame is too hard of a word, but like he, he wasn't necessarily as, he wasn't proud of what he necessarily did. And I think, and, but you think about that and, and wonder if every war was televised, like this one was how, uh, if, the soldiers would all, would ever come back as heroes, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's, it's so traumatizing that you just can't describe it. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, it's like it being in, I don't know, being in a really bad car accident and someone's like, well, what was it like? Well, it was really scary. That doesn't do it justice. Yeah. And, and, you know? and, and, and a lot of soldiers will tell you like, it's, it's, it's not necessarily what happens to you. That's the the most traumatizing. It's what you have to do to others. That's the most traumatizing part. And so it's not a it's not a a new thing that that soldiers come home and are like are haunted by what they did in a war. Um, and but but this one was happened to be televised, and so everyone saw it. So everyone that like you're like the soldier that came home. He's the only one that was in his own head. He's the only one that knew knows the context around what happened. And why he did it, but everyone else saw the, the aftermath and the yeah. action. So, yeah, yeah. Well, and there was no like it was really hard because like well, we're fighting against communism and kind of like the North Vietnamese, um, mm-hmm. but we're also here to like protect the South Vietnamese. But the South Vietnamese don't really seem all that keen on helping us. And um, I saw a quote from a, a Vietnam a, a soldier that served in Vietnam that was actually in country. And he's like, look, man, I know the North, the South Vietnamese are supposed to be our allies, but I can tell you right now, not a single South Vietnamese villager or or military guy ever told me, don't go down that road. There's mines down that road, not once, you know? And so he was kind of like doubting like how much of a, they seem to be almost like fair weather friends, I guess. And so Interesting. that when, when you're, when you're there fighting for people who don't want you there and don't care that you're there yeah. and you're fighting against people who pose no threat to you or your family 
and you're forced to do these horrific things and see horrific things happen to your friends. It just, I think, I think it, it, it just, I don't know if it fries people's brains or what, but you can't come home and like, just talk about that and interact in polite society and like try and square that, yeah. what, you, what you've done, what you've seen with like normal John and Jane citizen, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and, and you can see it in the lyrics here that um, he's representing that soldier that was forced to do that saying mm-hmm. it ain't me. I'm not fortunate. I'm the one that had to do the dirty work um, and I'm the one getting shat on for doing it. Um, so yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so we continue. Well, yeah. What well, Scott wants to do verse. Two. Would you do verse one? No, bro. The cat did verse one. Yeah. I'll do, do, I'll do, do two. Verse two Scott. Um, so, some folks are born are born silver spoon in hand. Lord, don't they help themselves? No. But when the tax men come to the door, Lord, the house looking like a rummage sale. Yeah. So it's, 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 yeah, it's poking at the elites. Um, rich, I mean, rich people specifically. Yeah. Rich people that, um, dodge taxes by selling their stuff or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess like the the silver spoon in hand. Apparently, it's like an old phrase. It's like mm-hmm. silver born with a silver spoon in the mouth. It's supposed to be like an old phrase, meaning you're born into money. Yeah. Almost like I guess the Eisenhowers or the Nixons. I'm not sure, but, um, but what what he's basically saying is like, look, some folks are born rich, and man, don't they help themselves to, I guess, the labor of others is what he's referring to. Um, but when the tax man comes to the door. He's like, man, the house looks like a rummage sale. So I guess that's an old way of saying like it looks like a yard sale or a garage sale. So I guess what he's talking about is the rich people are born to money. They help themselves. But when the time comes to pay their taxes to their country, they they can because because they're rich and have connections, they can hide their wealth. They can hide their their money. So so basically they're leeches. They take, 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 take Mm -hmm. and never give. Right. Yeah. Right. So. um then it has the chorus again. And uh, bro, the cat, if you got any, any thoughts, man, just call them out. Um, the chorus is a little bit different, so we can... It is. It. Yeah. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no millionaire, son. No, no. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. No. And then I mean, it has the... Go ahead. Like, main thing I noticed from that is, like, you've got senator's son, you've got millionaire's son, and then later on, you got military son. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of shows that, like, okay, uh, senators, they're obviously important to the country. Millionaires, they have the money to avoid uh, getting drafted and doing all of that. And then military, like, military children, they tend to want to go into the military because they want the same kind of glory and the same kind of experiences that their fathers or that their fathers or their families got. Right. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. And, and they get special treatment because their dad's general or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. That's an interesting in, in, some, in some respects, I, I, some, in some respects I get it. Cause if you have like a high profile person in the military, like, Oh, you've got the president's son in the military. You don't want that guy getting killed because you know the other side is going to propagandize that all over the place. Like, oh, dude, they killed Nixon's son. But, and that's going to hurt morale back at home. You at know? the same time, it's like there's no glory in it. Like, like there's no – Yeah. Um, like, like every – whether you like it or not, like every government or whatever has to have some sort of what you'd call an aristocracy or upper crust or whatever. And 
in a healthy society, those people would be like they, from infancy, they'd be like trained to be leaders, right? Whether it be military or, or whatever, what kind of leader, um, whatever the time calls for. And so, like, I think he's pointing out here rightfully that our aristocracy is is failing us. Like, they're not doing their job. Um, their, their job is to be the the hero um, for the for the for the guy that's singing "It Ain't Me." The 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 um, regular Joe protect that has to go the, do yeah, the dirty the protect, work. Protect the protector. He, he needs he needs a, a hero to look up to, to follow, to to be led by. Um, and our aristocracy is. Uh, is coddled has a silver spoon um like you said goes uh to a tropical place or whatever and, yeah. and hides not, out not base. paying not paying his dues not paying his taxes yeah you yeah know? not doing anything like right. like it's a complete like no the non-entity of a of a position that a society needs and it's interesting you point that out uh felix that the um the three groups mentioned, each chorus mentions a different group. The first one is Senator's son. The second one is Millionaire's son. And then spoiler alert, the third chorus is Military son. And so he's uh, he's basically talking about like the rich and powerful, like we said before, who have these connections to get out of the war. I know and I, I think the millionaire son is just referring to the, the rich who can basically buy their way out of the war. And this isn't new. But um, I know that during Vietnam, you could like defer your draft uh, notice if you were in college. And so supposedly, and this is back in the 60s, right, where not everyone went to college. It was still kind of more of a wealthy man's thing was to go to college and get that degree or whatever. Um, and so I guess the idea here is that the the the, the millionaires, the rich and famous, could – basically just pay for their sons to stay in college, like indefinitely, just take classes, whatever, and just keep deferring the draft to avoid having to serve their time. But the poor and the uneducated couldn't do that. So they just get, you know, shipped off to Vietnam. But um, yeah, but then we got, then we're into verse three. So um, Felix, why don't you take verse three, man? All right, so it says, Now some folks inherit star-spangled eyes. Ooh, they send you down to war. And when you ask them, how much should we give? They only answer, more, more, more. So it's very much like, so I guess in a way that's saying, hang on. That's saying like, these people are, like they're very devoted to the country, like Star Spangled Eyes. They're devoted to the country, but they send other people down to war. And when yeah. you try to push back, they say, just keep giving more, keep giving everything you can. So it, it I think tied tied in with the the second verse because they're kind of uh, um, opposites, right? Because the second verse is. Um, rich people that take, 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 and never give. And then the third verse is people that give, 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 and then are asked to give some more. So it's like, there's no uh, balance there. Um, So yeah. Anyway, It also kind of expands on the very first verse, right? Because the very first verse, the first line is some folks are born made to wave the flag. Ooh, they're red, white, and blue. 
And um, and then when the band plays Hail to the Chief, they point the cannon at you. Then the last verse, the third verse that Felix just read, some folks inherit star-spangled eyes. Ooh, they send you down to war. And when you ask them, how much should we give? The only answer, more, 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 more. Um, and so it's this idea of like going back to like the patriotism, like, oh, it's the patriotic thing. And I think, I mean, then as now, um, the most patriotic of people are typically, for whatever reason, like the lower classes. And um, and so they're the ones that, that are paying, you know, their, their share in blood. And um, I think he's also referring to like sort of the escalation of the Vietnam War, because the U.S. had been in Vietnam like since way before this, since like the, the late 50s, I think. Um, but there was in, in um, like a, a handful of years before he gets drafted, John Fogarty, they had this Gulf of Tonkin incident. Um, which is, I mean, it's been proven to be fake now, but it was considered like the sort of like the, it was August of 64 is when it happened, but it's supposed to be like the spark that started the Vietnam War because after the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which is supposedly these North Vietnamese ships fired on a U.S. ship in the Gulf of Tonkin, which is like this Gulf in the north, north of Vietnam. Um, after that, Congress basically authorized the president, um, Lyndon Johnson, it's literally called the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. And what it basically did was it, uh, it basically gave uh, Lyndon Johnson, the president justification to deploy U S forces to South Vietnam, Vietnam, and basically open like general open warfare for quote, to, to combat communist aggression. And it was proven later that nobody actually died in the Gulf of Tonkin incident. There was one bullet hole to one U.S. ship because they were like <laughs> provoking somebody and that's it. But point being is there'd been like a handful of thousand, you know, uh, U.S. soldiers in Vietnam, kind of like as like military advisors and whatever. And under JFK, before he was assassinated, he starts pulling people out of Vietnam. And then all of a sudden after this Gulf of Tonkin incident, the U.S. starts sending like hundred thousand soldiers and starts drafting a bunch of guys and um the response from basically then until almost the end of the war was well how do we win, win vietnam oh more guys more bombing raids more 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 uh deploying of soldiers more weapons more materiel it's almost like the ukraine conflict now Dude, it's like, it's, well, it sounds like yeah. like the war on terror the war yeah. on anti-democracy when you yeah. fight an ideology you'll never win like like right. i think this is like the first the first iteration of this ridiculous like just iteration or this uh i don't know it's the first of many wars yeah. where we're fighting ideologies and not actual goals yeah, yeah. i'd say that's a fair assessment yeah well and i think i i heard uh, um i i read an interview that john fogarty was saying is like well i think the real reason why the U.S. went to war in Vietnam, his his opinion. It wasn't so much the communist aspect or this Gulf of Tonkin thing, but it was more of, well, we've got to keep the the, the U.S. military industrial complex moving. You know, we got to keep we got to keep that money going, the, the, that, the weapons flowing. We got to keep that business running. So let's just start deploying thousands of guys yeah. to Vietnam and keep that. I mean, if you, if you want, if you want to um, go one layer deep into the matrix, I think that's th th this whole idea of fighting unwinnable wars against ideologies is kind of the a recipe to like you said keep that military industrial complex just cashing in checks the whole time that like um it's a kind of a winning strategy as far as that goes if that's if that's your goal then it's definitely a winning strategy yeah, because exactly 
Yeah, because this is all Cold War stuff, right? This mm-hmm. like this this thing started with the Korean War in the 50s, where it's the same exact thing. We're fighting an ideology. It's against communism. It's this idea of containment, right? We got to contain communism, otherwise. Yep they'll have the, what they call the domino effect. It's like, well, if one country falls to communism, the country next door is going to fall. And all of a sudden the whole world's going to be And we're still doing it. We're, it's we're still, still going still, on. Yeah, yeah. We still have, we still got NATO, don't we? Um, <laughs> and there's the whole fact that there are people in the U S who claim to be communists. So. Exactly. Either. Yeah. So, so it's like, how do you fight an idea that, that, it doesn't have a life. It's it's uh, an idea, you know. You right. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm 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 curious. I'm I'm just trying to think, like, put myself in the 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 mindset of leadership of the U.S. at the time. This idea of containment. That was the whole idea. Was oh, we got to contain communism. Okay, I get that. China was already communist, and they're the biggest country in the world. Russia was also communist at this time. And they were also really huge. Right. Also massive. Exactly. And they were like our main enemies, basically the Soviet Union. But who else were they worried about becoming communist? Vietnam? Like no one even knew where that was. Like Cambodia? Laos? Like who cares? Like the Uh two biggest countries that are a threat to us were already communists. So what exactly were we trying to contain? I mean, it sounds sounds a lot like Ukraine because from a a U.S. perspective, just like a Joe Schmo in trying to like pay his bills in in nowhereville united states like what do we care that much that uh that uh ukraine doesn't have democracy or something like that um it's i don't know it's very similar yeah yeah and it's just yeah it's it's wild to me but it's also funny how just like as as we learned from this podcast scott nothing in history is new right everything is just right. the same really. the same crap just rehashed Oh yeah. Yeah, it just seems like nowadays there's so many levels to to what's happening and um and I don't know. It you don't know who's pulling the strings. Um like like we were talking about this obviously if you follow the money there there's obvious reasons why it's beneficial for certain people and certain organizations for a perpetual state of war. Um so yeah, I think it's it seems pretty obvious that 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 it's just yeah the military complex, um, as an industry, um, but uh, well, and and for those that, are, that that remember like that episode we had with Matt Wilson El Mazote, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of that was kind of one of his points from that from that show. One that Matt brought up is you kind of have like a almost like a fourth branch of government, which is the military industrial complex. It doesn't really answer to anyone. It serves its own ends, mm-hmm. but because of us interests, you know, whatever that means all over the world, it, it kind of serves to, um, to like write us foreign policy and sometimes and domestic policy as well. And get us into things like this because it's such a strong, you know, sort of silent hand, silent branch of government, so to speak. Yep. And we're, we're so, there's so much momentum. We're so used to all, like all of our tax money going to these, like, I don't know, these military contractors or whatever that it, that it's just, just how life is. And yeah, well, other countries pay for their, so their, their social, social programs, right? We pay for this, 
mm-hmm. like this massive military buildup to be ready to moment's notice to basically be the world's policeman. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw I saw a funny meme actually, like when when the Ukraine war first started, and and it was people were thinking that the U.S. was going to get involved with actual boots on the ground get involved. And uh, I saw I saw a tweet that said Putin's about to find out why I don't have free health care. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, because, because we can, we can, we can, we can, um, we can spend the money when it comes to the guns and bullets, you know. Right. Yep. Yeah, we we got no problem with that. But um, so that that's pretty much the end of the song. It, it plays the chorus and the outro, and the chorus, like uh, Bro the Cat was saying, it ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no military son. It ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no fortunate one. And then it keeps repeating the I ain't no fortunate one, it ain't me over and over again until the song kind of fades out. Um, and that's the end of the song. Um, but really good, uh, really good choice. Uh, Felix, Ryan, Felix, bro, the cat, I'm running out of things <laughs> to call you in this one, but, um, really, really good, really good, uh, uh, song. I, I really appreciate picking this one. Cause I think it's a good one to do for episode 20. The, the lyrics themselves aren't super historically dense, but I think a lot of the stuff it alludes to, really did open it up for uh, like a really good conversation about the Vietnam war, U S military industrial complex, Ukraine of all things, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah. And, and to kind of wrap up the whole, the war, it, we eventually got out in like 1975, mm-hmm. um, the, but it was a uh, lackluster seen as a loss. Um, well, because what, what happened, right? Exactly. The whole reason we were there was to stop communism from going from North Vietnam to South Vietnam. And, like it, two years after we left, South Vietnam collapsed like overnight, yeah. and mm-hmm. the whole country's communist and still is to this day. Yep. So yeah. so it's like the 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 soldiers, like we said, came home to tons of ridicule and harassment. Um, is just a bad situation all all around. Kind of like what happened in the Middle East. Yep. Yeah. Very Which much. was just about as long, even more money, not quite as many casualties on our side, um, probably because it was a sort of a different kind of war, but very similar. The parallels are crazy between the two wars. But just right. for some quick just for some quick numbers, our our side, quote unquote, our side, the U.S. and the South Vietnamese had almost double the number of the people on North Vietnam, like the North Vietnamese who were supported by China, and the Soviet Union. But um, we had about 2.7 million U.S. soldiers that were like in country serving in various roles in Vietnam. Um, and of those 2.7 million, we had about a little over 58,000 that were killed um, and like over a million wounded. Some of them very grievously, like walking into what they call bungee sticks or bungee sticks. You don't want to look at that. It's terrible. But like just getting booby trapped, legs getting blown off, just all kinds of crazy yeah, stuff. L- so Lieutenant it, Dan type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and you and and you come home, not to fanfare like your like your father and grandfather did in World War One, World War Two, but basically being called a baby killer. No gratitude from your countrymen at all. Everyone's questioning why you're there. Everyone hates the fact that you were there, and you basically gave all this blood, sweat, and tears, and treasure, and for absolutely nothing. Like we gained absolutely nothing from this war. Zero. It's it's just it's so I like I feel I feel for the guys that John Fogarty is singing about here. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know? Um, yeah. And, and like we said at the beginning, it, it's, it's really interesting to, to see John Fogarty um, have this position in the sixties, but then uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't put words in his mouth. I don't know what he, what his uh, position is 
on uh protecting democracy in in uh in our current war in foreign countries yeah um but uh yeah anyway it, it's just a in in the 60s you wouldn't think a group of conservative guys would uh would be as would be on this side of uh of the war but um yeah um well so i have like like a minute's worth of fun facts but before i end with that um bro the cat do you have any parting thoughts or anything you want to share about this song or vietnam or um you know ccr uh nothing that i really okay think that hasn't been said already okay uh, no worries like, well hey i'm, I'm the king love, of go ahead i do love uh, a bunch of ccr's music so i guess that's what i'll end on yeah well the guy the, the guy john Fogel, they had a gift like don't get me wrong yep. like they write catchy stuff their, their stuff isn't super like difficult to play like technical you know technical wise on the guitar uh-huh. but it's just really good you know it's really catchy and what's even ama- more amazing is they released i think it was like six or seven albums they were only a band for like four years ccr uh-huh. was a band from 68 to 72 they basically broke up in 72 because john fogarty is kind of a dick and um the 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 remaining 50 years john fogarty and the others have basically been suing each other over various slights that they gave it over the years until I think it was just like in the past, like five or 10 years, John Fogarty finally won the rights to all of CCR's music. So now he owns all of them. Um, and, but they've never done, they, they've never really done a reunion. They have no desire to, they're still pissed at each other. And it's like, guys, come on, man. Like it's been so long. Like who cares about any of these like weird issues you have with each other. Uh-huh. Um, but oh. um one one thing I one thing I, I do think is kind of interesting but sad is Tom Fogarty, John's brother. Um, he actually died in 1990. Um, he went in for like a back surgery and uh, in 1990, and he had like a blood transfusion, but they didn't test the the blood donor or whatever. So he ended up getting AIDS from a blood transfusion and contracting HIV, and it literally killed him like a few months later. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he was like 48 years old. So I know I know John Fogarty, like they they when they weren't speaking when he died, John and Tom Fogarty. And I know John Fogarty's always told, like always talking about how like that's one thing he regrets is not being able to like make amends with his brother before he died. Um that's crazy. But yeah. But uh, the other guys are still alive, but no, no chance of ever getting back together because John Fogarty doesn't want to, apparently. Huh. <laughs> um but to 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 play the devil's advocate here with John Fogarty, who doesn't even know I'm playing a devil's advocate with him. There's issues I have with this song after studying for this. Number one, I get that he's being the voice of a generation. I respect that. What I think is kind of funny is the fact that this dude talks about the rich and famous and powerful getting cushy jobs in the military or not serving at all because of their connections from coming from a guy who enlisted and basically had a cushy job stateside the entire war, did not see a minute of combat. Right. Um, and so which, well, which and, is and kind of ironic. He, he talks about how, um, because he says he, uh, th- this is his story um, that he went and um, went to a recruitment office the day that he was drafted. Um, and that the, the guy, the recruiter at the office um, signed his paper like the day before so that he could so he wouldn't be drafted into like the front lines basically um and so 
yeah, he's pretty fortunate um, that that he was able to do that. And um, yeah, that's I mean, that's his story, the way he tells it. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think you're right. He's uh, he doesn't he personally has kind of a foot to stand on um, because he that yeah, he, he was in the military. He was he joined up, um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't like he he uh killed any babies he didn't kill any babies or anything right yeah well and 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 he's right like the eisenhower thing like david eisenhower like basically getting off on a cushy military job because of of who his dad and his and his grandpa were that's true that really happened he married freaking richard nixon's daughter that really happened but there are other people that were from connected families that did actually see combat and have some crap happen to them one of them john mccain so John McCain, as we all know, like, that's one of the things he campaigned. I think he campaigned on that was um, he uh, he was a uh, an Air Force pilot uh, in the Vietnam War. And John McCain's father, I don't know if you guys knew this, but John McCain's father was a straight up admiral in the Navy. And he was um, I think he controlled like all of the Navy in Vietnam, like for the initial part of the conflict. So the guy was definitely higher up. Like people knew who Admiral is John, um, John McCain Jr. is the Admiral is his dad's name. But so John McCain still, he enlisted. He didn't, he wasn't drafted, but he enlisted, but he was actually shot down in Vietnam. He was uh, taken prisoner. I think he was held at the, what they call the Hanoi Hilton. He was straight up tortured and he actually had for the rest of his life, like ongoing, like trauma and actual injuries that he never recovered from, from being tortured. And this is a guy who was from like a military family. Like his dad was an admiral. He enlisted, still saw combat, was still a POW. You know, that may have been a fluke thing because he was shot down, which didn't happen that often, but that was one example. Um, well, he was about- obviously just born to a ra- to wave the flag, the red, white, yeah. and blue. <laughs> yeah, he had star-spangled eyes, which is a really good line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. an- another one is, um, and I'm almost done, and we'll let you guys go, but John Steinbeck. So the guy that wrote of mice and men, like the mm-hmm. author. So there's uh-huh. John, there's John Steinbeck, the fourth. That's one of John Stein. So John Steinbeck, the author had a son named John Steinbeck, the fourth. And he actually also served in Vietnam. Um, and, uh, and, and, but I, I don't think he um, like, he met the president, you know, and so he's kind of a famous sort of a famous guy in the military, but he kind of served more as like a, like a journalist for armed forces radio and like a TV and war correspondent um, for the department of defense. So I don't think he ever actually saw combat, but he did go back to Vietnam later as like a journalist. Um, So he was, he was not one of those guys. Um, Another one that's kind of famous is uh, Sean Flynn. So Sean, same name as me, Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N. He's the son of a pretty famous actor that your grandparents will have heard of called Errol Flynn. Um, Famous guy, like in like the, 40s and 50s but uh errol flynn was this famous actor he had a son named sean who was kind of like this sort of born into privilege he also did some acting himself but the guy was kind of like a wandering spirit kind of guy but he basically kind of became a a freelance photojournalist and so he would try and get like right on the front lines down in vietnam and like get in firefights and take pictures like he was wounded in combat as a journalist because he's there taking pictures with the for the um, for like time magazine and stuff and um in uh in in 19 uh in on april april 6 1970 
he and this other guy were, um, they left Cambodia because they heard, oh, there's a, a fight going on, like, you know, in some border region. So they borrowed some motorcycles from some local and headed down a road that they knew the Viet Cong controlled and they knew the Viet Cong had a had a, um, a checkpoint there. They wouldn't let foreigners pass. And they were trying to go there to like interview people, like interview the North Vietnamese, which hmm. I guess is a good idea. <laughs> um, so they try and interview them. And that was the last time they were ever seen again. To this day, they've never been found and no one has ever found their remains. Wow. And so they, they're, his mother um, like had him legally declared dead in like 1985. But no one knows what happened to this guy. They assume that he was like tortured and killed, which is probably what happened. But another this guy never never served um, with the military, but he was a journalist that like kind of piled around with the military, did all the military stuff. He did parachute jumps. He, he grabbed it. He grabbed an, an M 16 and actually shot at people when they came under fire, you know? Um, and then later like disappeared and, and no one knows, no one's ever admitted what happened to him, which is kind of crazy. Um, but uh, yeah. So I, I just thought those, those like a couple of those stories out of Vietnam were, were kind of, kind of interesting um, because there, there were people that were like rich and famous that also did have their sons go to Vietnam, but there's not very many that actually did serve combat. John McCain being the only notable exception, I think. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he and Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that's an excellent song bro the cat my brother felix so thanks for coming on man i'm sorry you're not feeling well i know you mentioned you're getting over a flu earlier but in the last remaining like minute or two that we have um it, where can folks where can people connect with you or find you or are there any projects you're working on that you want to advertise uh so the main place people can find me is on twitter at at bro underscore the cat um as far as Projects I'm working on, most of what I'm working on is uh, stuff for school or for like personal, uh, um, what's the word? Fulfillment. Fulfillment or uh, advertising. I'm working on a couple books right now as well, like writing Ooh. books. So. Oh, cool. What can I, um, you don't have to give anything away, but what, what genre? I believe it would be considered contemporary fantasy. Very so it cool. happens in our world, but it's a fantasy book. That's cool. Um, do you, do you have any like selections you've already kind of released like on a sub stack or a blog or anything, or is it still just kind of in the works? Uh, nothing like that. I, um, I've, advertised a couple things related to the book but like for example i've tweeted out the poem i used to determine what the title of the book is going to be so cool um is there is there any anything that you want us to link to yet or not not quite just a teaser Uh, for now uh not at the moment okay nice Cool. Well, we'll definitely put your Twitter handle in the show notes so folks can find you and maybe find that poem you're mentioning. And then, uh, yeah, let us know once the, uh, once the book drops, man, and we can, uh, we can definitely shill it for you on here, but sounds great. Yeah. But other than that, man, thanks for coming on. Like I said, I'm sorry you're not feeling well. Thanks for being a good sport and coming on anyway and suggesting a literal classic song. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. 
And with that, we will let the song play us on out. <laughs> <laughs>